Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And this is Tim Grady. Thank you for joining us. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and we are going to be speaking with Sonny Hahn, who is the founder and CEO of Fulcrum. And Sonny is going to regale us on what Fulcrum is and does. And I had the pleasure of talking to Sonny before the show started, Lou, and getting into some lively conversation with him. He's a knowledgeable guy. Thank you, you guys, and thanks for having me on the show. Sure, no problem, no problem. We'll have to get you becoming a subscribing writer. (laughs) You write, by the way? Uh, I I dabble. (laughs) Okay, we'll 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 talk about dabbling off air. Sure. Okay, so uh, Sonny, let's uh, give our audience uh, insight into uh, Fulcrum, uh, what you're doing, and uh, how you got there, and you know, pass on the pass on the knowledge to the manufacturers who are great listeners of ours. Yeah, um, we want to deliver really great, beautiful, well-working software in the hands of manufacturers. We believe in a distributed, localized, centralized, uh, decentralized manufacturing um, economy and ecology that relies more on small and mid-sized manufacturers. Um, And we believe that's the future. We think it's the future because products are getting uh, innovated faster. There's more personalization. Uh, we're not making 10 million of anything anymore. We're making smaller quantities that are higher quality. And I think that is, is indicative of a change in the marketplace. So our application is an operations application. We use um, modern technologies like artificial intelligence and machine learning to assist with hard problems like scheduling. Uh, we have everything on the cloud. It's very secure. And we want to deliver a really modern experience for manufacturers that have most of the time been using soft, the same software they've had for the last 10 years or 12 years or 15 years. So um, that's what we're doing. We're delivering a connected future for manufacturing. Is the uh, conversion of a client from old technology to newer technology more difficult than somebody who some company that virtually has no technology flipping to your product, which is a, a millennial away from when the original was developed, uh, which is a more difficult switchover, tech to tech or uh, all, old to tech? There's, uh, I mean, there's, there's different challenges for each different cohort, but I would say that coming from older technology where you had to buy a seat for every user, where um, you know every single time you wanted to get into the software, somebody else had to get out. Our software is cloud-based. It's unlimited users. Uh, there's some behavioral changes that have to happen, right? We really believe in the concept of more data is more power, and we want everybody to be able to put their data in our system and and get the insights that they want. That that kind of behavioral change, that kind of psychological change can be hard, but uh, it's it's, uh, rewarding in an addictive way. So that change kind of happens automatically as, as people start to see the power of being able to instantly get insights. I would say that, um, a lot of times people have learned habits about how to treat software where the primary emotion is fear. I, I want to put everything in there and touch a button and I don't want to like break it. Right. <laughs> and, and we don't want people to have that experience. And 
weaning them off of that, I think, is the most difficult part. The challenge with someone who has no technology in place right now is usually just data um, discipline, um, naming things the same way or uh, treating data less like kind of scratch paper notes and more like this is important. That's probably the biggest change that we have to have to fight against with people that have no systems. But I would say they're about even. They're just different different challenges. I, I think that perhaps one of the things that uh, they would experience is that once they understand the value of what they got and they see that, well, we used to take an hour to make part number one, two, three, and, and now it takes uh, eight minutes by 3D printer, and I can put out seven, eight times more of the production with the same material uh, um, uh, workforce input. So that's kind of an interesting yeah. uh, view of it. I mean, if you're going from a horse and buggy to a car, the, the yeah. noise might scare you, the, the, there might be fumes or something, but you're not going back once you know how to use it, right? So That's right. That's right. And, and, and the, sure. the horse do is also a, a problem. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> so, Sonny, the software that you implant in companies, I'm assuming, is software as a service, and what exactly does it help them do? Well, most of the companies that we work with um, have some technology in place, but they also have a ton of paper everywhere. They have job travelers that are around their shop. They write information onto it. That information then gets stored in a filing cabinet or scanned. Somebody else then types that information in. That information then gets exported to a CSV that then gets pulled into an Excel spreadsheet that some poor person has to colorize and make it pretty and then show up at a production meeting once a week to give that information. And by the time they have it, it's already three months late, right? And so um, if you can imagine a, a digital system where that information is entered immediately in, and that result is immediately available right on your phone or your computer, we can just get a lot closer from the time that something happens in the shop to the intervention of it. And that might seem like a small thing, but there's a lot of engineering that goes behind it to make that happen. And the magic of that happening is really where real control comes in. So that is kind of the fundamental thing that we, we deliver to our customers is a unified place for everything to be tied together. Imagine if, you could have your quotes tell you what the last time you made this production run was and what the actual results were. And, oh my goodness, I'm underquoting this all the time. These are things that I think <laughs> people who are in engineering believe should be able to exist. They, they intuitively know that they want that, but they've never had that before. And, you know, uh, lo and behold, it actually does improve margins because we're, we're being more accurate, right? It makes it easier to say no to a deal that's probably not right for you because you have that information or um, having a scheduler who's really a production manager instead of spending four hours a day rearranging a bunch of cars on a whiteboard scratching their heads going gray by the time they're 35 they're actually able to be production managers and actually help improve throughput and the schedule is a really hard problem that the computer can help you solve um, and, and assist you in a way that, that allows you to feel empowered by it. So um, it, it's, it's, a lot, it's not a lot of little things. There's a lot of big things that are mashed together that make dramatic uh, improvements to the companies that we work with. So, uh, correct, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, this is a subscription-based uh, platform. Uh, That's correct? right, and, and that is a, 
a, a psychological change, right? Uh, most software in, in the manufacturing space is you buy it and then you buy more and then you buy more and then you buy more <laughs> and you buy more seats and you buy more modules. But right. the, this whole software as a service thing, I think it's misunderstood. The service part, I think, is the key. It is a service, and our service is to keep you on the bleeding edge in a robust way. Not the bleeding edge that's dangerous, that might knock you off your horse, but every month, every quarter, every year, we want to have something new that you just get as part of that service that makes you believe, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I, never, I didn't even think of this, so much so that you would never, ever consider moving off of our service. That's the experience that we want to give people that I don't think they've really ever had with software before. So um, it's a refreshing experience, but it's really hard to describe. So, so when somebody, a client of yours, comes up with uh, three new uh, idea bubbles, uh, and you wind up uh, cre- either creating it or altering something, so you'll get the same effect. That automatically goes within the, new, the the base program or base platform, and everyone has the benefit to be able to use that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, I think that out of 100 ideas that we get, about 30 of them are just very specific to that, that specific business. And we'll right. customize the system and deploy it, and only they will get it. Another wow. 50 of them, I would say, are general, but not in the way that they might imagine. So we have to do some work right. to kind of – juggle it right. around and redesign it. And then that last 20% are just things that are probably out of reach right now. Um, we just, we don't have the, um, it, it, it's a little bit more too difficult for the benefit. The, the cost benefit ratio just isn't there yet. So we'll have to wait until right. a later time. Right, so right. That's probably the distribution. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's very well, interesting. I admire your mission, Sonny, because when you say you want to have the software such that people would n- not even consider leaving the platform. I'm sure you know well that the opposite is true in most of the software we use today, where we go, I hate this software. If there were anything out there I could move to, I would change in a heartbeat. But then there's always that fear when you're importing or exporting your software, your your data from one system onto another, that the whole thing blows up on you. Yeah, that is a a legitimate fear. And the only thing I can say is that, you know, people who are legitimately invested in your success will stay there and help you along the way that, uh, you know, (laughs) the the companies out there nowadays won't just leave you in the lurch. So that's the spice of life. You make another copy. (laughs) That's all. (laughs) So close up. You have one more, one more left. (laughs) That's right. So, Sonny, so, I want to circle back around to something we were talking about pre-show, and that is the current situation with China and the supply chain and its ripple effects, not just in the USA, but globally. What is uh, your view on what's happening with or what soon will happen with the supply chain? Yeah, I think that uh, two big events have happened recently that – the tariffs and kind of the trade war between the U.S. and China, as well as the most recent coronavirus. And I think a, a lot of it is just bringing to light some of the systemic problems that exist. Before that, when I started the company, I started it because I was seeing this shift happening slowly already. If you just study the underlying metrics and, and data that, that's there, 
it's really difficult to make a case for a shift in production not coming back to America or not going back to Poland or not going back to Germany. This um, mechanism of centralized production in China for the world is one that I, I wouldn't bet on. Um, and, and I bet on the reverse, right? I started the company with this understanding that these shifts are going to happen. And I think that, um, you know, the tariffs and more importantly, the coronavirus um, recently have just made it painfully obvious to people that aren't even involved in, in, in manufacturing, right? Um, pretty soon, by September, October of this year, significant numbers of people in America won't be able to get their new precious iPhone uh, that they're expecting to get as part of their annual upgrade plan. And certain car prices will go up and certain models of cars will not be available. And uh, hopefully there will be some real accurate news coverage that will describe the fact that minimum order quantities are high. Uh, production volumes are such that um, you know little ripples can have huge effects across the entire uh, global economy. So uh, I, I think that it'll touch a lot more than than just cars and, um, and and cell phones, it'll touch the the solar market. It'll touch the, the wind market that's kind of been driving a lot of construction boom here in in, in America. Uh, and it'll touch battery markets and and a lot of things that most people don't understand are centralized in China, or at least part of the subassemblies and components are there, right? So I think it'll be interesting to see how people react to that. I believe the number is that. Uh, China represents 20% of the um, um, the goods and services that go around the world, and if you knock that out, everybody else falls out, and then it's just one country after another is going to go into some kind of recessionary period. Uh, you're you're 100% right on that. Uh, what you're what you're not right about, I'm, I. I dare say, is that I don't think the news media is going to pick it up anytime soon <laughs> to, to the degree yeah. that we just spoke of. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunate. Nothing like, um, yeah, nothing like telling bad news in a political voting year. It doesn't work. Uh, they all yeah. make everything. Sorry, go ahead. I think the, the, oh, I think the purpose of the news is to give the most accurate information that affects the most people, right? And I think this affects but, everyone. Um, I think understanding oh, that China doesn't really export full products nearly as often as it exports components and subassemblies, and that if you right. just don't have an electronics control board for a car, you can't drive the car, right? So right. The entire exactly. large supply chains will grind to a halt here too. So Very easily could. Very easily could. Does your software help? Um, your manufacturers see that either in real time or coming up as a possibility? Yeah, um, from a purchasing standpoint, these data points don't just emerge, um, you know, quantumly, right? You have little signs. A vendor that used to be a four-week lead time is now four and a half weeks and five weeks and six weeks and seven weeks. We can start to predict some of those things and, and help them um, adjust. However, if there's nowhere that you can source these components and everybody has a 15-week lead time because they can't get what they need and they are themselves are scrambling, there's very little that we can do to, to help that. Um, we can help the supply chain by increasing throughput from the manufacturers that we work with, thus, you know, 
increasing the ability to produce more when there's more demand that we didn't expect. But the entire global supply chain is very, very complicated um, and and has a potential of grinding to a halt. I think that is scary. I'm, I'm not trying to be alarmist, but uh, I, I think it's so interconnected that um, I think people underestimate how interconnected everything is now. So you're speaking to the uh, choir here, uh, Sonny. Uh, I've been a, a <laughs> proponent of uh, everything you just said for the last five minutes. It's like I, I see that wall of water coming. You know, the day yeah. the earth floods is is the yeah, the, is a good the tsunami is here. Yeah, the tsunami is is it's it's offshore. It's down that way, and it's coming. And and uh, I, I believe that uh, your type of product and your platform uh, can give people a heads up, a view, almost as a forecaster of what could come. What could you do about it? You know, just sit back and, and enjoy the ride. But at least it won't hit you by surprise one day. You say, oh, my God, September 28, 2008 was the beginning of the Great Recession. I mean, there is a day, that's, you know, the one they pick. But you know, like nobody saw it coming. I mean, that was amazing. That was just yeah. I just hope great... that our message is more like Paul Revere and less like Noah building his ark, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also a good analogy. Sonny, uh, you must have some uh, wonderful success stories that the manufacturer came back to you and said, you know, with a wow moment. Can you share one or two of those with us? Yeah, I can share kind of one that's that's very emotional and, and close to my heart. Um, uh, one of our first customers was... <laughs> <laughs> one of our, one of our, our early customers is a, a rubber extrusion uh, shop, and um, it was a, a husband and wife. They had... Uh, the business was started by... Um, the the wife's father and uh, when the wife's father passed the business was kind of split between brother and sister and she and her husband took their side of the business and, and really went off to the races on it and, and grew it significantly but at some point in time they just weren't making any money at all they were putting money from their savings into the business and um, they had always dreamed of having their kids come work at the business but they just knew that it wasn't a place that um, that was going to be, you know, accommodating for that. So um, we started with a few things. We, we helped them with their purchasing. We helped them with their quoting. We helped them with their scheduling. We helped them with their job tracking, their quality, helped them, you know, get all of these systems in place and automating all of it and making it a, a, a digital life instead of a paper-driven life. They were able to hire younger people locally. Their, their two of their three sons now work full-time in the business uh, their revenue has tripled. They're making a significant amount of profit that they didn't weren't. They're returning that profit to their employees through a profit sharing plan. Um, mom uh, recently was was diagnosed with cancer, and um, you know she's she's uh, gone through treatment and recovered well. But one of the pieces of feedback that I got was you know having her sons in the business, seeing that it would run even if she wasn't okay, was just a great solace for her and she has so many friends and so many colleagues that have manufacturing companies where there isn't a second generation that's interested there isn't that solace that things will continue 
um, and, and you see manufacturing companies shutting down kind of all over the place because there is no legacy, nobody to kind of take over. And for her to have that was a really meaningful and emotional thing for her. And, and when she shared that with me, it, it, was, it was really impactful and kind of helped reinforce and bolster what we're doing uh, out in the marketplace. So um, she's, I would consider her a personal friend. I, I, would, I would help her in any way that I could. She would help me in any way that she could. And I think it's far more likely for our company to form those types of really deep connections with these more mid-market or smaller manufacturers than per se a, a buyer at or an IT manager at Boeing or something like that. And, and there's a kind of a selfish uh, reward there as well that we're, we're able to kind of see the work that we do impact, I don't want to say real people, but you know, real people, right? So um, that, that I think those types of stories are the ones that stick with us the most, far more than the ones where it's just some sort of ROI calculation, which is always there. Um, but the ones where we're actually able to kind of change the a way a family works, a community in a, in a small town in, in middle America works, those, those are the ones that I think, um, uh, you know, impact me the most in the long term. Well, an ad- admirable goal. And uh, I think that there's a, a lot out there that uh, you could be approaching for this kind of market uh, and give manufacturers the, the, the Henry T. Ford of what they used to be using. So uh, I, I commend you for that. Um, Sonny, so it sounds like this was not the biggest company on the block, that this may have been a smaller mid-sized company that you were helping out. Is your software focused for the small and mid-sized enterprise or for the you know, the Fortune 1000 and all the big boys? We um, have we can have success working for a Fortune 1000 manufacturer if we're working for um, you know one division of it. I think that at this point in time, it would be uh, foolish of us to take over the entire production planning and operations management for a, a, a Fortune 500 manufacturer. Uh, our target market, the one that we're really focused on tuning the software for, is a company that's anywhere between a few million dollars in revenue to a few hundred million dollars in revenue. So a big range, but there's a lot of similarities in the companies of that size. And I'm sure you know, if you're working with titanium or expensive materials and uh, you know, working in, in really high precision uh, shops, you could have a lot of revenue, but you know, your gross margins might not be that high, right? So revenue right. is not super indicative of the complexity of a business, but that's kind of the range of, of what we work with and where we find the most success for now. Yeah, that's, uh, I love the story. Uh, naturally, uh, Tim and I have run across a fair number in the last two or three years of companies that uh, are doing some form of uh, uh, creating a software platform to accomplish or near accomplish what you're doing. I, I think, though, that yours has a, a significantly different uh, approach and is a bit more encompassing into where you could be selling into many different manufacturing environments where that may not be the case with the other uh, brand access out there. So uh, I would suggest you keep doing a great job. And uh, are there any uh, points that you would like to uh, bring up uh, in our final moments? Yeah, I would just say that, 
there are people out there that care about this sector of, of the industry and um, sure. care about it in a way where maximizing their value is the concern, not just creating the best startup that's out there or something like that. The, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, the general sentiment is you should build something really specific and focused and small and, and kind of grow from there. But what we found mm-hmm. is, is that that really just creates kind of niche software packages. We really are working towards this vision of a shared capacity, work together to do the greatest good for manufacturing as a whole uh, ecosystem. And, and we're, we're well on our way towards that goal, but that is our goal, is to help every one of these manufacturers not just work better themselves, but work better with each other. And I think we'll find that we'll be able to generate the efficiencies we need to make domestic production as valuable and as profitable and as fast and, and nimble uh, as, as we, we need it to be to make a better value proposition than having centralized large production run manufacturing done overseas and shipped across the ocean in giant barges and ships um, you know, over a, a three-month lead time. I, I, think that, I think we can make a really good economic use case for that with just a little bit more efficiency and a little bit more mm-hmm. cooperation. Why don't you give us uh, your URL address for our listeners to uh, be able to tap into your website? Yeah, our uh, webpage is fulcrumpro.com, F-U-L-C-R-U-M-P-R-O.com. You can see everything about us there. You can uh, see our mission. You can see what we integrate with, that we play nice in the sandbox, that we uh, are invested in our customers. You can see screenshots of our actual products. So we try to be as different as possible. No smoke and mirrors. It's, uh, it is what the product actually is at this stage in time. So come check us out and, uh, and let us know if there's any way we can, we can help or any connections we can make too. We're, we're not just a software company We're we're trying to do as much as we can to, to help what you guys are doing, spread the word and, and, and have as much collaboration and, and conversation between manufacturers as possible. Well, Sonny, thank you for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. We appreciate you being here and sharing with us what Fulcrum does. And we, we like you, really enjoy those stories where you actually touch someone's life in a meaningful way. Uh, I think those are important, and they certainly occur all around us. But hearing about them is uh, awfully nice uh, every once in a while. So thank you again for being on our show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was nice to meet both of you. Thank you, and uh, we, we'll be we'll be watching what you're doing off in the future. If you have any updates that you'd like to talk about at some point, send us an email or give us a call, and let us know what's what's new around the ranch. Okay, thank you. And and we have been speaking with Sonny Hahn, who is the founder and CEO of Fulcrum, and you can find them at fulcrumpro.com and find out all about their software as Sonny was just explaining or come to MFG Talk Radio where this podcast will be posted and find out that we have over 400 podcasts in our library where you can find a wealth of information about the manufacturing industry and people in the industry and associations and economists and all the folks that we talk to to help manufacturers across the spectrum improve their businesses and improve their profits. So, as always, we appreciate you joining us on this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. 
You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.